Welcome to Tess Talks Radio, the global Tezos ecosystem podcast hosted by Marissa True and Stu Elms. You're tuning into a special edition episode where we showcase some of the best conversations that took place at the Art Basel Speaker Series, supported by Tezos. Enjoy. Test. Okay. Test, test. Works. Sabine, does it work? Your microphone? Test. Yes. Okay. And we have Linda as well. Hey, Linda. Hi. <laughs> Um, welcome everybody. My name is Mikal. Uh, I am the founder of Vertical Crypto Art, which is a curatorial uh, media studio for art NFTs. And uh, I am joined today by Robert, Sabine and Linda. Welcome. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us to, to Tazos. I'm very excited to be here. And um, we're going to be talking about curating art for uh, Web3. Um, so with this, I'm going to let my beautiful speakers introduce themselves very briefly, and then we'll kick it off. So Robert, I'm going to start with you. Sure. So hi, guys. Um, I'm pleased to be here. Um, so where to start? Um, I've been in computer for in computers forever, um, and I heard the talk before uh, someone uh, saying uh, it's all about computers, and this is how I explain it. So I, I joined the space when, when I was a little child. My Parents got me an Atari uh, 800, and I started just, you know, coding little uh, colorful uh, stripes. And then with 16, I joined a collective um, that basically started uh, creating artworks based on code, uh, multi-layered Photoshop, and uh, music coding. So that was the demo scene, if you're familiar with that. Um, and uh, what we did is just really creating the early artifacts of, of, of art. And it was multidiscipline team because, you know, everyone was spread around Europe. And uh, it was so, so exciting because it was at the time of AOL, right? So still just kind of listening to the sound. And then that brought me to computer science. After that, um, I spent a lot of time in the music industry. So I was um, working on um, licensing agreements, A&R, and then moved uh, or co-founded uh, an arts organization in New York, United Creators, uh, where we provided patronage to emerging artists. Um, so it was the first kind of web to um, kind of an outlet for artists um, in 2006. And then uh, 2008, we created a platform called the G-Box, a gallery in the box. And that was sort of kind of a pioneering idea of uh, remote curatorial services. So basically, we leveraged screens uh, in hotels, in other infrastructure, special spaces uh, to curate artworks. So collaborated with leading hotels of the world and a couple of other infrastructure providers. And then also with the Young Curators Club in Sotheby's and Christie's, who just leveraged that to really, you know, take off the barrier of the, of the artwork, right? So, so anyway, so that's really it. Uh, in 2020, 21, I joined the NFT space and since then collaborated with a lot of traditional artists. Uh, my name is Sabine Himmelsbach and I'm the director of HEC, House of Electronic Arts here in Basel. I'm a trained art historian, very classical background, but uh, media arts has been my passion early on. And then I had the chance uh, through the jobs that I had uh, to, to also make it uh, part of my career. Um, I have worked for six years at the ZKM Center for Art and Media in Karlsruhe being exhibition director there. Then I was running a smaller institution in the north of Germany, the Edith Ruth Site for Media Art, 
also with an artist in the residence program. And since 2012, I'm here in Basel directing HEC. And HEC is a very unique institution. It's the Center for Competence of Media Arts here in Switzerland. We do uh, exhibiting of uh, uh, on-site and online. We have an educational program. It's very uh, dedicated to making people understand uh, what generative art is, what uh, all these issues. And then uh, thirdly, we are collecting uh, Swiss media art. And here our focus is on software and net-based artistic practices. And of course, NFTs are part of that as well. So much. Thank you. Thank you, Sabine. And Linda? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Linda. I'm a Senegalese artist trained as a designer. And I'm also the founder of uh, Cyberbot, a collective of uh, digital artists of African descent uh, that sort of converged um, in Web3 sometimes around last year. Um, I've been in the um, NFT space for about almost a year and a half now, which is crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so prior to the NFT space, I worked as a designer uh, for various studios, um, uh, such as Ideo, uh, for example. And um, in the metaverse, I'm sort of um, both uh, an artist as well as a curator and also um, kind of figuring out um, ways to build a collective of artists through the DAO infrastructure. And Linda, maybe for uh, the audience, do you want to explain briefly what DAO means? Uh, just so oh, that sure. everybody knows what you're actually talking about. Maybe people know, but just to, just to make sure. Sounds good. Um, so a DAO or decentralized autonomous organization is um, basically analogous to what you would imagine a company to be in the real world, but built for decentralization. So it's a way for people to get together around a particular mission or vision and to action on that sort of in a, in a decentralized way where the power is not concentrated in a hierarchical manner, but people have uh, various ways to come to decision agreements uh, by voting or by sort of uh, uh, converging in, in, in sort of more decentralized decision making. Thank you. And actually, we'll talk a little bit about what uh, curation within a DAO system and organization means for you and for Cyberbat and for others as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to um, maybe like start with a first question, which is what sort of uh, principles um, do you think are important in your career, in what you've, you know, you've experienced in the past uh, in terms of like curating art that should be brought into WebFree? Sabine, I might start with you, actually. Yeah, maybe I start with uh, a project that I have been involved in 1999. And because I think we are in an historical moment that is kind of comparable. At, in 1999, I was a co-curator and producer of the show Net Condition at the CKM Center for Art and Media in Karlsruhe. And it was a, a, a moment uh, where net art was thriving, but it was not seen in the museum. And then this art... Uh, it was a really huge show brought in the, into the museum context. And I think it was very, uh, yeah, contested uh, at that time because a lot of artists were saying like, the yeah, art is made for the web. Why bring it in the, into the museum? But I think it's, I see it as my position as a curator to make a broader audience aware of what is going on in culture and also in digital culture. So in that respect, it really makes sense. And yeah. 
And I think now uh, with the Web3 space, there's a lot of learnings to be made for a broader audience. And I think that is important for me as a director of a cultural institution to make, uh, yeah, to talk about these things, to make people aware, to give, give workshops and uh, to really help them grasp what is happening. Absolutely. Robert? Yeah, I think what you, you would really like to adapt is sort of the um, idea of patronage in uh, the NFT space, right? And, and I think this is also something, Linda, that we want to discuss in the context of DAOs, right? That, that pretty much take also the um, uh, responsibility and accountability for that. Um, I think everything else uh, you would apply, sort of the art historic uh, context, right? Uh, you would also look at the cultural context of any artwork. You would try to cross-reference uh, the art pieces with other curators, artists, art critics, um, and then go through a curatorial analysis of the process, the work, um, the execution. I think all of that that you find in the traditional art space you would want to have in the NFT space as well. And Linda, maybe from your point of view, specifically being almost like a like a web free native kind of like curator working with like super rare with, you know, Cyberbath and a lot of the, the, the major also like marketplaces. Um, what are your thoughts about aspects of curation that you think are fundamental to web free and also maybe that you would like to see from, uh, you know, the digital art space in general? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually went, um, that question made me think a little bit because um, when we think about the historical context of art, it hasn't been the kindest to non-Western cultures. And so when you think about art criticism, for example, which takes it mo its modern form in the 18th century, where like, you know, this around the same time colonization started taking hold all, all over the world, I think there's an urgency for curators like myself to sort of decolonize and continue the debate of decolonization in the Web3 space, because it's about really like entangling our, our psyches, our creators, as, as our creatives, as well as curators from sort of canons that haven't typically included us or, or been kind to different perspectives from around the world. So one thing I try to do uh, when working in Web3 as a curator is, it, is to try to find perspectives that are typically, you know, marginalized or ignored or that sort of fall out of view and, and try to include them in this new market because we have a window of opportunity to change some of the things that don't work for us in the traditional art world as like artists of, you know, uh, from the global South. And I think this is our window of opportunity. And, and so it's our role as curators to sort of be very inclusive from the get-go. Absolutely. Really important, um, really important point, actually. Um, I think also something that is uh, that is kind of like interesting, and maybe Sabine, I'll start with you. Like you've obviously been working with digital artists, like net artists for a long time. Um, and so what are some of the key factors that you as a curator in the digital art and net art space uh, keep in mind when working with artists? Um, and yeah, talk a little bit maybe about your curatorial experience there. Um, I mean, for me as a curator, I'm interested in context and ideas that are specific for a particular medium. You know, with early net art, it was a discussion about identity that you can, you know, change your identities on the web. Nobody knows. And I tried to find out what is, what are the relevant questions, uh, for the artists working in the digital field today. I tried to, um, yeah, to create stories, create narratives, to um, 
to give access to certain uh, thematic fields. I think that's important uh, for me. And um, I'm also interested in where, I mean, the metaverse is many things. It's not just uh, the, uh, it's not just the blockchain. And to also think where the art plays out. I find it interesting that artists like Adi Wagenknecht, for example, years ago with her video tutorials infiltrated YouTube space. And I guess probably a lot of the audience didn't even know they were watching art. They were just watching her, her tutorial that had always a, a twist to it and kind of make people think of what they are listening to. And when we started our series called, uh, titled Hack Networks, which is uh, a commissioning series for online works that may play out on our website, they play out on our socials. We want to create also an online exhibition space starting in the fall. I think it's this... Um, surprises you know that uh, you go with the art and infiltrate existing uh, spaces and robert uh, in your view do you think the role of a curator is changing with with web free and if so how yeah thank you for that question um i mean starting with web3 pretty much i mean um it really offers the widest ranges of uh, inclusivity, participation, as we know, right? And all of that on many levels, right? So you could have today an art enthusiast um, may want to curate their own cyber collection. Uh, at the same time, you would have like an art institution like the Tezos Foundation might want to uh, build their own permanent collection, right? So um, I think that um, collectors who dedicate their lives for contacts, for creating contacts, are much needed in a space that still... Um, is on the on the purview to find like important works of art right and um but there's a certain uh, interesting dynamic in the web three space as well right because it's the acceleration of participation and uh there is this permanent participation uh because this is how you build and participate in communities right without that it's it's just kind of you you're going to be excluded um, so, so I think that that's a very important aspect, and um, so, so I think that's 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 very much critical. It's it's interesting because you obviously just mentioned um, collectors, right? As uh, almost like as curators as well, and that's also what happens in the web free space because of this active participation from everybody, really, from the community. Um, the role of the curator, in a way, becomes everyone and anyone and so maybe even more important to like figure out you know what is the role of the curator in web3 and and what shape does that take um yeah yeah i, I this is an excellent point and and i would have an um example for it i mean there is uh this collective organic material um that actually um started their inauguration of their um initial drop on tezos which has been founded by this fabulous artist guy nicholas and he put together um a couple of the artists and they um it was just fantastic to see because it was such a diverse group of of you know traditional and digital native artists that came together um, to come up with a stellar collection. And in the process, what they did is they educated themselves, right, on how the work should be done. They curated the space. It was almost like a 
Web3 version of an artist-curated gallery, right? And um, during the process, I was very amazed also about sort of the diligence, the the, the care for, for the art, uh, but also the execution of uh, a series of Twitter spaces. And, and, and I think this is also part of a curatorial service is where the artists interviewed each other about the work, about the depth of the work, and um, provided pretty much insights to the work to potential collectors prior to the drop. And, and I thought it's, it's amazing, and the team continues working on that. I mean, Linda, I, I know you're nodding, and yeah, this is very core to also like what the work that you do, so would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I've, I... I think it can be scary to think that the identity of the curator is expanding to like anyone, anywhere, <laughs> you know, with all kinds of art. But I think what happens is that um, it's um, I think it's very exciting for many reasons. For One being that uh, the artist as the curator is actually um, starting to sort of happen more in, uh, in, in the, in the Web3 space. There are, lot, there are a lot of artists who are sort of taking on that, that mental of curator and, um, organizing shows and, and really giving, giving words to the movement of the Web3 space, uh, from their own perspective and sort of putting, uh, the art and the artists forward. Um, but also I think I really like this idea that there's like, in, in an ever expanding and like exp exponentially growing space, where you have like thousands and artists coming into the space every day um, as a collector or even as an artist you have to sort of figure out where to align yourself which communities to join and I think the curator becomes that sort of beacon of sub subjectivity like you can figure out like what your thesis is or or which communities you want to align with and, and generally those are the people speaking for those communities and so they can help you sort of navigate this like very vast and and and, and you know very fast growing space um, so I think they're like little lights. Curators have become little lights that you find your way through the Twitter sphere, <laughs> uh, to figure out who, which artists you should, um, speak to, which collectors you should be following. And, 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 and if you're, um, if you're a community person, which communities you should be joining. Maybe if I may, just, just one point, being in the, um, music industry for, for such a long time. I think um, NFT artists have like sort of similarity to this because they need to entertain uh, larger audiences. It's not just a one-on-one. -on -one. It's just basically the constant interaction uh, with, with wider audiences. So, so I find find it so fascinating, and there's a, definitely a parallel world to that. Yeah, I think I was what I was thinking just now was you were all speaking is you know we've used the word community, we've used the word Twitter Spaces, uh, we've used the word engaging with an audience, which maybe like historically in you know the view of an artist, you you would kind of like think of an artist as you know doing art, and then everybody. The, the gallerist, the curator, the institution taking that, you know, heavy lifting off the artist and doing all the work, even behind closed doors sometimes. Like you don't really know uh, what happens. And I think that's when the, the word of like the, the concept of gatekeeping you know, starts, um, and, and how, uh, historically, like, I, I kind of remember when, when, you know, we started using the word curator in the NFT space, you couldn't really use it. You had to be very careful because artists were like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want a curator. I'm here because I don't want to be gatekept. Um, 
So, yeah, w w what do you feel about, maybe Sabine, I'll start with you, like the, the, the concept of the curator as gatekeeper? Well, I see myself different. I see myself as a facilitator and not as a gatekeeper. But as has been mentioned before, of course, uh, curators in the Web3 space are sort of nodes, you know, also for guidance and so on. My experience was working with media arts in such a long time. Uh, the curator always has been a moderator between various parties, the artists, but then also technicians you have to work with mediating to the audience, making them understand what they actually see, how to interact sometimes and so on. And I think in uh, also as a cultural institution, um, we want to also establish a DAO, uh, a hack DAO in the fall. And I think that the art institution needs to open up to stay relevant. That's for me a very important topic. How can we reach out to new audiences? This gatekeeping issue is also an issue uh, in terms of collecting. When you have software-based art, we need programmers, we need people from outside who have written programs that we can use to keep the art alive. And in that respect, it's also opening up, not being, uh, yeah, not being this, uh, this closed uh, doors uh, to an audience where we know how it is working. We need to connect more. And I think also in curatorial, it's this opening up, inviting people in, becoming a DAO, hopefully have meaningful interactions with an audience that we on a community that we want to build. Absolutely. Uh, Linda, what are your thoughts on, you know, the notion of um, curators as gatekeepers, specifically also from, from an artist perspective as well? Yeah, for sure. I think if you are a curator who's like staunchly defending the old canons of art history, you're probably going to feel very lonely and very alienated in the Web3 space because I think what um, what curators are really doing in the space, from, from what I've been observing, is that they're expanding this idea um, of, you know, what the art world is supposed to be and supposed to do and who gets to be represented in. Um, so that's that's both on like in terms of genre, like in mediums of the work um, and defending new mediums and constantly evolving. Uh, so things like generative art, um, but also in terms of the identities that get to be represented in collections and, and who, who gets to have a seat at the table in terms of artists. So for me, it's kind of a refreshing change because from having been like briefly in the sort of traditional art space as an artist and sort of um, having interacted with curators who almost want to fit like, a, a, you know, a circle into a square, what happens in the Web3 space is that you can find, uh, again, like these different nodes for guidance. They have different curatorial perspectives. Uh, every artist uh, across different mediums, across different identities, can find a niche uh, of like a niche community that they can like belong to. And I think that's a very important thing to uphold and and, and continue to to foster. And I think specifically speaking about like platforms, right? When you talk, when you think about NFT platforms, um, at first there was this idea that like every platform is uncurated. But I think whenever you're showing art, you're curated by default. Whether you're actually intentionally like curating your front page or not, your curation happens, right? And so I think that a lot of platforms are starting to take that a bit more seriously and figuring out, well, if I'm going to be curating in, unintentionally, may, maybe I should sort of start to do to do so a bit more intentionally. And what does that mean for me? 
and then and you're starting to find like every platform is starting to develop their curatorial sort of ethos uh, and 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 building around that and and I'm really excited to see how that progresses over time um, and also continues to sort of serve this purpose of decentralization. Definitely. Can I add just sure. uh, different perspective? I'm not additional perspective. I think just the term gatekeeping is such a loaded term and, and often projected with so much um, negative connotation. And, and I think, um, I think like in the discussion, and I 100% agree, uh, that there is sort of the ethos of uh, inclusivity, right? And that the scene is pretty much committed or very much committed to enable um, and provide opportunity to all. Uh, but I think we should not confuse it with um, the, the striving for quality and excellence, especially in an overcharged space, right? Uh, so I think um, there is a certain framework or any systems needs a framework to operate and function in an efficient way. And, and I think curators can do it by also uh, enable pretty much the conversation and the dialogue uh, with art. But I think striving for quality is still a very critical point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, on um, this uh, quality point, I know that with Heck uh, specifically, you've been collecting NFTs um, and art NFTs uh, specifically. And so when you think about like collecting in the NFT space specifically for like an institution, what is that, you know, kind of maybe on the term quality or, um, you know, things, like points that you have to consider uh, when building a collection for, for such an institution, Sabine? Well, of course, it's also the quality issue and the topics addressed. You know, I'm uh, building the collection for Hack is really uh, looking at the issues that are um, discussed in the artworks. And just to make it clear, we only collect art NFTs. Um, I know that yeah, other institutions have a different approach. We are also limited because of our governmental funding to collect only Swiss uh, media art. So... That makes a bit of a more narrow niche for uh, what we can do. And the first two NFTs that we collected are by the artist group Ubermorgen. And it's a PFP project with the, the dicks that they realized and we bought two of them. And for me, it made sense because we have them in the collection with one of their seminal net uh, artworks, the sounds of eBay. They did a lot of work on the on these huge uh, companies, uh, Amazon, eBay, and uh, Google. And for me, that was very relevant how they were interfering with the artwork on kind of critiquing also the infrastructures of the internet. And of course, with uh, their NFT project, it was also kind of uh, not only critiquing, but also an ironic gesture on the phenomena of profile pictures. So in the concept of our collection, it totally makes sense uh, to to acquire uh, these works for the collection. And I think it will be driven again in uh, thinking of, yeah, the different topics that are addressed, conceptually, abstract, content-wise, that is something that uh, interests me in collecting. Just a follow-up question uh, specifically to this. Do you think it's easy or hard to find context and like understand more about 
art NFTs specifically? Like, do you think the infrastructure for an institution like Heck and others to have context on specific art NFTs is there yet or has still to be built? I think um, you have to engage and you have to see and look and experience uh, to build that. But that's also why we want to start with a, a, a talk series in the fall to educate our audience, because that's also what we as an institution, uh, this is one of our duties to really make people understand. And we want to start also with workshops, because I think it's very important when you enter into the Web3 space and collecting NFTs, You have to do it. So a year ago, we started also with two artists that we are related with and who we work with who were minting kind of uh, during the workshop and really go through every step to make people understand how it works. Because my experience is that a lot of people are still are still shying away and not really doing it. And I think we need to start there. Absolutely. Uh, and Linda, with Cyberbat specifically, um, how do you uh, work in, 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 a, in a world where you're, you know, you're decentralized, you're in a decentralized autonomous organization? How do you curate work? Uh, how do you select your artists? Uh, and how does that process look like? Yeah, that's a I'm gonna preface saying that in the in the space, they're expected to be like a whole team of people. You're expected to be your own publicist, your own agent, your own marketing manager. You're like you're expected to make the work. You're expected to sort of be the Twitter influencer that gets it, gets the message across, and to write the context and everything around it. And it's an it's an incredibly time-consuming job. And I think a lot of artists don't have all of those skills at their disposal, which is why I think sometimes the space disproportionately affects um, uh, artists who are not able to sort of really put words to their uh, or contact or give context to to their work it's, it's not easy which is why in the traditional art space you have curators and you have publicists and you have everything that whole team working to sort of really bring context around the work and so what we try to do at cyberbot is is to find artists who um who need that right so like they have a beautiful collection they have uh, very uh you know expansive practices and they may not have the time to sort of spend like actually crafting the narrative around their work and actually crafting the experiences where people can 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 see and and interact with their work and so what we sort of started to do at the beginning is we started with a small cohort of artists of, of all of african descent and we we were agnostic of, of you know mediums and we we said we just want to find people who are um, who are committed to their practice and we want to sort of bring light to their to to their works uh and and sort of help them bring context so that's kind of organizing exhibitions around the work uh curating different uh um, exhibitions based on the cohort that we have so we're working with a very specific group of about 30 artists and what we've seen is that it makes a huge difference because we you know you go from kind of being invisible on twitter and having this massive amount of like excellent work that people can resonate with to uh, after a couple of exhibitions, people know your name, people are soliciting you for, for other projects because there's visibility at this context finally to like attach to the, to the work and to the person. And so that's something we, we really care about in terms of um, kind of getting more artists in. One thing we're realizing is that 
again, as a DAO, right? Um, we can't make, I can't make that decision as the founder to say, we need more artists now. We have to be able to continue to do the same level of work that we've been able to do with 30 artists with like a hundred artists. And so when we're not confident that we can ramp up this, this, um, these efforts, we just kind of don't let anyone in until, you know, we've, uh, onboarded more people who are able to sort of do this work of contextualizing and organizing, um, experiences around the work. And so, so far we haven't let anyone at anyone in yet, but our goal between, between, between now and the end of the year is to build the systems to allow more artists to come into, um, to come into experience some of the work we've been doing for the, for the first cohort of 30. Amazing. Um, and I guess like in the context uh, specifically also like for DAOs, but also in general for like curators, um, we're obviously talking about, uh, blockchain and smart contracts. And so, uh, in your, in all of your views, uh, how do you think, uh, the, the technology that is, you know, behind, uh, NFTs and which, which are smart contracts can enable, uh, curators and maybe, uh, galleries, institutions to, uh, facilitate some of those, uh, transactions, work percentages, how, how that those models, like those models work now, let's say. Sure. Um, can I first of all say I'm super impressed, Linda. I mean, uh, big, big fan of the work and, and also, um, I'm, I'm so thrilled about DAOs, guys. I'm so excited. I just wanted to express it. And then beyond arts, right? I mean, this is going to be transformational for everything. I mean, in, I think in politics, in, in corporates in the future. So, I mean, it's such a wonderful field. And what I also believe it's going to make create the bridge pretty much between sort of what we call the NFT art and probably also the traditional art, because there are a lot of DAOs that have traditional curators, uh, museum creators already on their DAOs that have a voting right that are part of it. And then ultimately you create a foundation, a collection that will find a way to a MoMA, right? So I think this is so, so, so critical to mention here. Now, back to your question, sorry. Um, about blockchain, I mean, it's the wonderful thing about blockchain is that it's such a transparent ledger. So you have all the data at hand that you need about the transaction of a collection, how, you know, the, the trading volume, everything else. So basically not being too technical, but you, you can create a data lake. Uh, once you have a data lake, you can apply data analytics, you can harvest a lot of information. So through all of that, you can make sort of these finding a stick in a hay. You, you can just kind of make the entire work so much more professional for a curator. Uh, and, and this is very exciting to me. So uh, blockchain pretty much uh, enables that. Sabine? Um, well, as you said it, I mean, the transparency and uh, the you know, the, the NFT as a certificate really, uh, you know, created that, uh, that hype and that burst that, uh, digital art is now collected. I mean, we collected, uh, long times ago, uh, very, um, how do you say, very complex works that are sitting on the web that are using web infrastructure, for example, connecting to the, uh, to, to Google search engine and so on. These works are for us more complex, but I'm, I'm happy to see that, uh, through, uh, blockchain technology, uh, there's a market now for digital art and digital art gets, uh, more, um, 
attention from the wider art world. We sit here in a booth at Art Basel, so I think that's uh, uh, that's very positive. And I totally agree that uh, the transparency issue is uh, super interesting and helps uh, understand. And um, yeah, and it also enables, as we spoke earlier, that these collections and curators come up because it's all transparent. You can look at the spaces and, and you see what people are doing. And uh, Linda, specifically, maybe also to talk about uh, like DAOs and, and Cyberbat, maybe you want to give a little bit of context on how Cyberbat started and how, you know, the blockchain actually facilitated your funding for you to start the DAO. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of talk around... Uh, let's say like big money, you know, PFPs, but actually, you know, sometimes the, the, the bright side of blockchain and like, you know, organizations like Cyberbat and many others uh, are things that not really get talked about too much. So maybe you want to, we want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we started very grassroots in the sense that we, we first organized around our own resources. So we're all for the most part, artists and curators. And so Either we're making some, uh, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies from like selling our art or royalties, or um, maybe uh, if you're a curator, uh, kind of being paid for that for that job. So, so we started with our own resources. We just pulled a little bit of ETH each and said, like, let's kind of, you know, create our safe, get a bit of money in it, and start to use that to apply for, um, to apply to be at, um, you know, events and and conferences because we we were. Finding that uh, Af artists of African descent were just not being invited to NFT events, <laughs> and you might feature like a, a couple of us, but then we needed a space where we just wanted to kind of present ourselves and say we're here, we exist, and we we kind of like the work that we do, and and, and I think we uh, and we think you, you're going to like it too. And so um, eventually, we realized for our ambitions to be met, we actually needed to to fundraise. And so what we did, typically DAOs will fundraise with like a token drop, um, but I think there. There's a there's a fine line when you're a DAO of artists uh, when you when it comes to like thinking about governance right who gets to make decisions about art and who gets to make decisions about your work it's just such a personal thing uh, and so as we were working through the governance we decided maybe not a token drop not yet because we are not ready to sort of monetize um, this aspect of our of ourselves and so we decided to say we're really good at making paintings and and one of one art like we're we're really good at that with something we know how to do it's something we know how to market. Market. So we basically did um, a little manifesto of like who we were, what we were trying to do. And we, uh, along with that, you could collect one of ones by some of our artists. Um, and, and the proceeds from that would go in part to the artists who made the, the artwork, but also the rest would go to the, to the DAO. And that's how we were able to fund our way through uh, Digital Art Fair Asia, um, or art, uh, art Dubai this year as well, last year as well, um, and Art Fair Philippines. We've been able to sort of use what we've raised to sort of um, travel to different places and to show that, uh, you know, the NFT space is not just you know, your PFPs. It's not just your typically like, uh, you know, Western creators, like we're also here uh, and we also have a different uh, perspective. 
And I think there was a question you asked earlier about smart contract. And I think a reason why, why I want to bring them up is because that's something as Cyberbot we're trying to do a bit more is to, to kind of mint all our collections on our own smart contracts and, and give this, the right split to the, to the artists, obviously. And the reason for that is because every once in a while, I think, in, you know, technology is great, but every once in a while you have a, a, a very, uh, a piece of technology that's like poised to change history. And I think in many ways, the smart contract is that for us. So if I think about myself, I'm a woman, right? If you go back 200, 300 years into history and you try to sort of name the female, the women who shame at the time, it's hard to find the names, right? Like, unless you're an art historian. And the reason for that is because like a lot of, um, a lot of work by female artists at the time has been attributed to their male counterparts. And so you, you have this just like identities that get lost through history and with the smart contract you have the transparency and the and the ledger that so like the cements the presence of this person in the in, in the nft space and in this art movement so you know even if i stop doing anything today in a hundred years 200 years from now like there will be a proof that I was around and that I minted those NFTs myself. And I think that's, that's historical for, for someone like me. I may never be forgotten, right? Like at least there's evidence that I existed. And I think that's, that's revolutionary and something we definitely want to keep, um, um, want to protect. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I love that you, that you closed uh, with that. I do want to uh, open it up to, to questions um, to give a bit of time. So yeah, if there's any question, there's a mic somewhere. This is. Thank you uh, for this wonderful presentation. First of all, I'm Ozzy from FX Hash, and I had a question for uh, whoever uh, wants to respond to it. I, as you've seen uh, both the traditional art scene and the NFT space, and since community members are fastly becoming curators, um, in what extent should we as Web3 art platforms and uh, traditional curators educate or pave the way for the community on curation techniques or should we sit back and watch the community figure out curation techniques that are also new to us that we don't know yet? Yeah, um, you said it. Great question. I just attest that. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I think, uh, to, to be honest, everything starts with a dialogue. Um, and you don't want to um, push anybody into anything. Uh, what you want to encourage is pretty much the curiosity, right, around the dialogue, the conversation, learning from each other, right? Uh, so, so uh, very short answer in that. Uh, yeah, there should be sort of uh, opportunities to learn from each other. Uh, maybe also take those communities and, uh, you know, uh, facilitate diverse uh, thoughts and opinions uh, into those, right? Uh, this is where, where innovation and creation starts. Yeah, uh, I can <laughs> I can agree. Um, that's what we are trying is really to to educate, to reach out, to to uh, create opportunities. And I think the DAO uh, that we want to establish, the Hack DAO, will be one of those experiments also. And I think also we as an institution will learn by doing it. Any other questions? 
Or Linda, do you want to add anything to this specifically? I was just going to agree with Robert. I dialogue. Just, you know, you can't and won't stop curators from propping up everywhere. But uh, organizing dialogue around these two different perspectives is, I think, the way to go. I work in crypto, I, and I have heard all major terms or use. The only one I'm missing is fractionalized ownership. And I would like to ask you how it's affecting it, the art collection. So owning 1% of a painting or maybe owning a percentage of a collection in a liquidity pool or like. I mean, uh, this happened already, also not only in crypto, um, with the artist Eve Sussman, for example, who, who sold her painting uh, to fractionalized owners. I think it's an interesting concept and probably might be also something with high prices uh, to continue in the future. I don't know if that answers your question or if you had a... Yeah, I think so. So if you think like uh, from casual to professional, right? I think you, um, when you look at the Deutsche Börse, which is uh, a big exchange uh, marketplace, uh, they have their own uh, sort of um, stock market for fractionalized goods, right? And uh, so, so usually uh, really just kind of established collectors, founders coming in, take their entire collection of traditional art, uh, tokenizing it, therefore fractionalizing it. Sorry, uh, and 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 starting to to trade that right. So so that exists already also in in a very professional uh, context. Yeah. I think there was one question there. Yeah, yeah. and I think for. Go ahead, Linda. Sorry, go ahead. Linda. Okay, should I ask the question Sorry. or is Linda going to um, say something? There might be a lag. I was saying for for now. Go for it, Linda. There's a bit of a lag, but you're here. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, no, I was just going to say for DAOs, fractionalized ownership is um, almost like a, a given because when we collect uh, artwork as a DAO, we kind of have to find a way to like split it within every member. And so I think it's um, almost an inevitable me mechanic if you if you collect together in, in, in a DAO infrastructure. And it's something I'm really interested in and excited about because uh, especially when there's artworks we couldn't afford as like an individual, you now have the, the possibility to sort of pull your resources together and, 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 and being able to afford that means that you're sort of you know, this when we came into the NFT space, there was this idea that you could build generational wealth through the NFT space, but there are really not a lot of ways you can do that. Um, and I think fractionalized ownership is like at least one one possible answer to that. I think we have time for one more question. So yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I was wondering, what do you think? Where where will be the spaces of digital art to happen? Like, especially, um, will it be? Um, more like on, online and which spaces online or will it be also in a physical space and where it lies the potential of institutions maybe um, or what where do you think is the most interesting spaces that actually these, these this art or the digital art will happen in the future will it be the metaverse or, or uh, how do you say commercial metaverses or will people build their own spaces so where do you think it goes in this way 
Maybe I I start. I um, I think it will happen everywhere. That's what my early example was with, with Adi Wagenknecht. That art infiltrates existing spaces, but of course we also will build spaces. I mean, uh, for example, at Tech we will uh, we will have. An, an online exhibition space based on the common garden uh, principle or concept of uh, Constant Dullard. And uh, I pers personally believe in browser-based spaces because they are accessible to everyone, but of course there will also be uh, metaverse spaces like Decentraland or Mozilla Hubs. So I think it will, will diversify. I think we're at time, uh, unfortunately. But uh, thank you very much. Thanks to everybody who uh, came and listened. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Sabine. And thanks, Robert.